Hi everyone, uh, this is Kunal, founder of Analytics Rudhya. As social media platforms and tech companies are increasing privacy protections, brands are realizing that it is no longer that easy to pay dollars to reach consumers. And this has led to the rise of community startups. A community startup is a startup built on the back of a strong, organically grown community base and that is hyper-focused on adding value to the community. At this stage, you might wonder what are the ways in which a community startup has become a large business. And that's where the story of analytics with Vidya comes in. In this episode of the Founder Thesis Podcast, your host Akshay Dutt interviews Kunal Jain, who is one of the early pioneers in community building and the founder of Analytics Vidya. Kunal shares his journey of starting a community that bootstrapped its way and how the community became a full-fledged platform for analytics professionals with a global reach. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis Podcast and any audio streaming app to learn from veteran startup founders who have changed the landscape. And then went to IIT Bombay for uh, uh, five years, studied aerospace engineering, bachelor's and master's. And post uh, IIT Bombay, I uh, went to Capital One in UK, spent four years uh, with Capital One. And Capital One has given birth to a lot of entrepreneurs. Quite a few founders I've interviewed have worked in Capital One. So I guess it has that kind of an uh, that kind of a culture which promotes uh, entrepreneurial thinking yeah yeah very much in fact uh, as a culture it's uh, it promotes open thinking it promotes uh, people challenging each other very openly and it's uh, it's still one of those organizations where i see a lot of people venturing out from capital one and then realizing oh the world is not safe and coming back so so a very high comeback rate of uh, capital one alumni and so what next after your Capital One stint? So I spent about four years at Capital One. Finally, in 2010, I came across an opportunity where Aviva Life Insurance was setting its analytics team. And also, I mean, UK was still struggling with the entire uh, recession and the growth seemed far. So, so I said that I've got experience of a more mature market. Why not now set this team up at Aviva? So that's when in 2010, I moved to Aviva Life Insurance, started this team, which initially it was just two people. And that scaled to about 25 people by the time I left. And at that time, we had created one of the best analytics unit in the country. In, in insurance. So the kind of problems we were working on, the way we had structured data. What, what, were, what was the impact of this unit? Give me some examples. So we started in 2010, right? In 2012, the agent productivity and the agent selection was entirely driven by data, right? So every agent, when they fill their uh, application, we had an engine running at the back saying what are the chances that this person would become a good agent. And their day-to-day engagement with their sales managers and branch managers was driven by data, right? So in those, uh, you know, uh, four years, I uh, worked very closely with the entire sales team, the banking partners. So we created a model for one of the bank partners 
to tell them who in their customer base have would have high propensity to buy insurance from Aviva, right? So, so we essentially worked as an analytics team at the bank's end. But what happened was during this period of scale, right? My role ended up becoming very managerial, right? To the extent that I was spending, I think, good seventy percent of my time in meetings. Remaining third end up in uh, uh, a lot of managerial tasks. So I had stopped enjoying that role. I was feeling that, uh, you know, I'm not growing as much on my technical front. And in 2013, finally, I said that, let me start a blog and then share my learnings. So another particular instance I remember was uh, uh, as we were trying to see if macroeconomic variables have an impact on the renewal payments which customers make, right? So, so if the economy uh, go south, does it? What does it mean for the renewal premiums which would come in? And uh, there was no place I could go and ask these questions. So I ended up calling a few batchmates from IIT days who I knew were working in analytics. So this need of you know having a place to share learnings, ask questions, get answers from experts kept coming back again and again while I was at Aviva for about four years. So in 2013, I said, okay, I don't know the way to solve it, but at least let me start by putting a blog out there where I can share my learnings with the larger world. And that's how Analytics with Their started. So 2013, I booked the domain, I started writing articles. And from there, it started taking its own life and shape, right? So so people started coming back. A couple of friends said that we think this is brilliant. We would want to also contribute. And uh, uh, in about nine months, so I did this in parallel to my job for about nine months. It was very evident that I could create a much larger impact by doing this full time. But, you know, there were a lot of uncertainties in terms of, for example, there was no revenue model figured out by that time. But what I could feel clearly was that the impact is much bigger. And uh, because I had savings, of, so I could go on without revenue for a couple of years. So I said that, let me take a plunge and uh, do this full time. So 2014, I uh, put down my papers at uh, Aviva, started uh, building analytics with their full time. What was the like hits or uh, users or like what were some of those stats when you quit? Yeah. So on my last day, uh, so in that month, we had uh, got some 8,000 visits a month. So, so that was the number. In fact, I remember very clearly one of my friends at Aviva asked this. That's, it's a good personal blog to start with. You're getting some visits, but how big do you think would it become? And at that point, my answer was, if this grows 4x in a year, I'll be happy. And so <laughs> uh, we ended up growing 10x that year on, on the middle of the volumes. But uh, so, so very early days, but that impact was, uh, uh, I could feel that impact, right? People coming back, asking questions on comments and then the, the engagement on, let's say, LinkedIn or other platforms. So, so it felt that we are onto something. It's just that we were not able to define it or clearly see how it would essentially become a business. So what was the plan when you quit? Uh, you wanted to build traffic and monetize through ads or what? Like 
at that time it was just that you know let me uh, convert this into a community so we added discussion portals as soon as uh, i went full time and monetization was essentially through ads so so there was no other monetization in fact the first revenue came 3 months after i had quit a viva and was doing this full time so so the thought was to convert it into a community portals we launched these discussion portals then we added a hackathon platform so we could release problem statements and community would work on it we started doing meetups across the country so we would do a meetup we in each meetup we'll take a problem we'll help people solve through that through 2017 we did india's largest ai and ml conference in bangalore 2018 we launched our own courses and uh, programs so till 2017 it was essentially a like a media company you were doing everything which a media company does like producing content and running events like these are typically how media companies monetize like advertising on content and events and events would have been like paid events i'm guessing or sponsored events like so paid events and sponsored events so so it was actually till 2018 it was a media model in terms of business and then the uh, dna was that we let's continue to build a strong user base and community and if, by 2018 what were the numbers shit so 2018 we would be getting probably a million visits a month that's where we were and uh, uh, in fact we delayed launch of our courses uh, for for a good year or so because we felt that you know the community might all of a sudden feel that we are now trying to sell products so uh, so that so we del- uh, deliberately delayed or uh, we were not sure whether we should be launching those or not but at the same time the most common question we used to get at that time was that can we so we really love the blogs you are writing and the way you are breaking down complex concepts what do we do next from here and then how can i take this learning further so so finally in 2018 we said that looks like our users only want this and they are not getting it elsewhere so let's launch courses on the platform but and what was your uh... before you lost courses what what were you making revenue wise was it breaking even for you or did you have to raise funds to meet expenses and uh, did you have a team L- like tell me a little bit more about that 2014 to 2018 journey so we were we always operated the business as a bootstrap business right so i did raise uh, small friends and family round when i was starting and the idea was very simple that it gives you longer runway you are anyway dipping into your savings so so might as well uh, uh, you know lend them the runway so i raised a small round in 2015 through my uh, friends and family but we we were very lean team right so in fact this 2017 conference which we did right so we were 13 people at that time none of had uh, us had any experience of running a professional event and these 13 people would have all been content creators like writing articles blogs mostly mostly content creators uh, a couple of developers and uh, 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 we we had just hired first product manager and one sales person so so very lean team sales person for like getting sponsorships of events or selling ad space and hackathons so hackathons we had started in 
2015. So uh, we would essentially have these, let's say, annual kind of arrangements with uh, companies. So at, at that time, uh, a lot of ad tech companies used to be our clients, right? So Great Learning or, or some of these companies would advertise on our portal. So, so the salesperson would essentially look at these relationships and see how can we go this. And uh, hackathons were, uh, were they like a source of hiring? Like companies would hire through hackathons and you would charge them something to help them hire? So it started as an engagement uh, tool. But very quickly, we saw that it could be used for hiring. It could be used for crowdsourcing solutions, right? So if a company is facing a problem, they could put it in the community. Would love. So uh, so that's what we were doing. So for, for a, a company to come, it was essentially three reasons. They could look at uh, hiring, they could look at crowdsourcing, or they could even do it for branding, right? That we are doing some interesting, cool work. Yeah, it is. And when we have worked with uh, uh, almost every big company out there in analytics and data science to conduct these hackathons. And I still believe that for the community, they're a phenomenal tool, right? Uh, it, it just focuses all the energy on problem solving. And uh, typically on one weekend, right? So we would have these weekend hackathons. The community was extremely... And this is an offline thing, like the uh, hackathon? No, it was online. Uh, and there were hybrid ones as, uh, as well. But uh, yeah. typically, uh, over a weekend when there is a hackathon happening, the community would exchange between ten to 15,000 messages about the problems and the learnings or what they are trying. So, so, you know, in fact, those weekends used to be crazy, right? So you would start the hackathon at 12 midnight. And then you'll see a surge of people coming and downloading the data set, looking at the problem statement. And then, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, till like three o'clock in the night, people would still ask questions about the data sets and we would reply them on Slack or discussion portals. And then people would start building their models and see the leaderboard. Uh, and what is, uh, what is the problem they are solving in a hackathon? Like, you would give them a dummy data set and ask them to draw some... The idea was to have these real-life problems as close to real life as possible. So, so at no point have we created dummy data for hackathons. So we would work with companies to bring their problems out. At times, the companies would want masking of data. So we would do that masking in, in their own campuses, etc. But... Yeah, so personally identifiable information would get masked. Huh. Yeah, you would expect all of that out and you would leave any sensitive information out, but still retain the flavor of a data problem. And then the intent was to create something which the companies can then take later on and solve their problems. So, so we were working closely with companies, bringing these problems and releasing them in form of uh, closed problem statements, right? So it was not an open problem statement like we usually have in a lot of hackathons, but it was a closed problem statement. And uh, yeah, that that worked uh, brilliantly for the community members to come and work on a common. And what was, uh, like, give me an example, what kind of problem? So for example, this was for a 
let's say insurance aggregator right so we were looking at what are the uh, lead propensity that they would buy an insurance product from these companies right so we had uh, a lead data from these customers their behavioral data so for example how many times have they visited the product pages etc and the intent to predict whether uh, they would buy in insurance in a particular time frame right clearly there was another problem from a, a retail giant they wanted to predict sales of specific items during the holiday season so that was another problem so so again uh, lo- uh, most of these problems were very close to what people were working in their uh, real life uh the only difference is we would do the hard work of collating the data making sure that the data is at least at a place where it could be released in form of a hacker and uh, then open it up to the community so that's the end of problem statement so so yeah these 13 people looking at uh, hackathons and you said you had a product manager and a developer or two what was it that you were building this was like a wordpress site that you were so the blog was on wordpress but uh, uh, for example this entire hackathon platform was built in house right so uh, people could upload their models it would evaluate it in real time and show them what is their rank on the leaderboard people could do discussion so that was all built in house and we were still toying around with uh, product ideas right so for example we were looking at uh, integrating a coding window into our uh, platform or we were also looking at building a mobile app more evolved version of discussion portal so there were these uh, uh, so we always wanted to be more product focused as opposed to a media business but you know you, it would take time before you would reach and w- what is the coding language that is used by data science professionals today it's largely python but back in 2014 right so 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 that in itself has gone through its journey right so 2014 uh, sas which is a proprietary software used to be the most commonly used language at that time then you know people started uh, exploring open source and for a couple of years r looked like the main language which people would use and i think late 2015 onwards uh, python started capturing lot more because it's production ready uh, uh, the ecosystem is much bigger and today uh, i think it's uh, hands down python so almost uh, 50 60% of the data scientists would by default use python in their day to day tasks and python is an open source uh, database tool Uh, python is a open source programming language and it has a whole set of libraries which are open source right so i want to run a statistical analysis i can just uh, add that library and uh, run that code i want to build a machine learning model there is a library called scikit-learn i can import that build my model and be good with it right compared to for example with sas you would pay dot license fee and then uh, server fee and all those things so so that democratization happened uh, during that period right so in fact uh, when i joined aviva right the kind of costs we incurred in setting up the team they almost went to zero by 2014 right so so the only cost you would pay in setting up a data science team was essentially the hardware 
those were the only two costs left so so that democratization happened uh, during that period and i think a large part of our growth was also fueled by that that people wanted to learn more and people wanted to know more and that's where the community came in a very handy and in a place where people could spend time without kind of uh, any restrictions and that's what fueled our growth at that time and then as you said right at that time the business model was largely media driven and we were uh, you know close to break even at all points or or breaking even but the intent was always to take that and reinvest that into businesses so, so i think in the first few years we we did not make profit although we always had sight to profitability but the intent was to grow the community as much as possible uh, that's what you were doing and what revenue were you doing by 2018 should 2018 we would be roughly ha- half a million dollars uh, so 2017 18 would be roughly half a million dollars at that time about 3 3 4 cr okay and this was what was the split here like how much from advertisement how much from uh, event fees and so large yeah so so largely advertisement driven and event was so even 2017 when we did was about uh, 30% of the revenue so it uh, quickly was very evident that this could be very profitable business in itself 2018 when we launched courses so in the first year we almost had three almost equal revenue lines so courses uh, gave us b2c monetization hackathon and hiring was also keen and then the community events so so we ran for a few years in that model that doing this courses that you launched uh, like how intensive were they and tell me about the journey of the courses right so courses were largely uh, self driven but with very application oriented and industry relevant examples right so so uh, so this was the time when for example coursera uh, uh, was probably the first place where people would learn and the biggest problem with coursera was that it came across as very academic right so so while you would learn the theory behind machine learning you would not be able to take that and apply it to solve problems right and we were anyway seeing a lot of people struggling with even building basic models in hackathons right so people would come by doing these courses and the minute they'll see a unstructured problem out there they'll they'll struggle so so the thought was that can we create these courses which help people become more industry ready right so so just to give an example when we were teaching machine learning we didn't say that this is the equation behind these models and this is how you build it we said okay let's take an example that you want to predict house prices in an area right how would you do it assuming you have data of passes so so the first logical ways you would say that i'll say that it's average so that's your first model right so so just taking that fear out of machine learning and saying that if you could say that this average is my first prediction this is your first model now if you have to make it more specific what would you do right so you could introduce some sort of segmentation in this case it could be for example geography so where is that house placed and the average area and then you could introduce more variables is that uh, how many bedrooms are there etc 
so all of us said you know you're not approaching it from theory first you're uh, taking that application and then while you're doing this you'll introduce the challenges that you want to capture how many bedrooms are there in each apartment but you don't have this data so how do you capture that and then bringing in so so our courses were very application oriented so how did the application part of it happen through self paced manner like people would like you had some way for people to upload their work that they do on python which would get you were using the hackathon platform which we had built right so so in between the courses we would say that okay here is a problem which will now work and you can go to this url upload your solution and see how good or bad you were so so that's where in fact so a lot of experience of running these hackathons uh, the kind of problems people face when they come to these hackathons for the first time gave a lot of insight in terms of how we should go about building our uh, courses mm, mm, mm. amazing and what is the file so you like python generates a file or what is like i'm not from a coding background so i don't you can upload a python script or you could upload a uh, or you could upload a model as well right so you could say that here are my predictions for each of these cases go and validate how good or bad they are so so both the options were there the the preference obviously was for people to upload their python script because then you can truly validate them so that python script would be run on the data because the data you are only providing so you would run that script on the data and then validate uh, it against some ideal response uh, and through software uh, flag what are the gaps exactly and data also just no answer data itself was also broken into two parts so one was visible publicly right so when people upload their solution they need some indication of how good their model is so that was on this public part of the data and then there was part which was held from public uh, which was private uh, data and the actual rankings finally was on the private data so you are not allowed to see the data on which your final model will be evaluated and that's how this entire solution was constructed okay so like for example it would be a data set with 10000 rows you would only share 1000 rows uh, with them but you would run the script on the 10000 rows you would exactly you would only see the model working on a part of data right and again depending on the data the actual split could vary so for example if it is a time based data right so so then you what you would say is that i'll open the data for 2018 and i'll evaluate you on the outcome i saw in 2019 right so use all the insights you need from 2018 but 2019 which you are not seeing is what would be used to evaluate it so so essentially make it as close to real life as possible because these are exactly the challenges with these data professionals face on a day to day basis and that's and gamify it make it exciting make it uh, essentially a place where a community would love to spend their weekend doing this learning and what were these courses price set and typically how long did people take to finish a course and what all courses did you launch so the first course which we launched that was launched at about 4 uh, uh, and 1/2000 rupees price point it would take 
anywhere between three to six months, uh, as long as you are spending, let's say, four or five hours a week. And uh, so that was the first course which we launched, which was essentially introduction to data science, right? So, so building all of those grounds up. And from there on, we started adding more and more courses. So there were courses on visualization, there were courses on advanced machine learning, there were courses on uh, natural language processing, computer vision, and a lot of these advanced topics. Uh, so, so in about two years, we went from one courses to almost 30 odd courses. So, 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 and then, and average price, average price uh, would, uh, so, so with time, we continued to bring the prices up. And what we also started doing was we started bundling these courses, right? So because from a, a user perspective, they would want to go in a logical flow. So the average price point, if you buy a, a specific course, would still be around 5,000 rupees. But these bundles would cost you anywhere between 15,000 to 20,000 rupees at that time. And yeah, this was the time where we were uh, running the business in a very uh, bootstrap manner. So for example, we would launch the courses first, collect the revenue and then go and build them. So so we would pre-launch the courses. <laughs> so, uh, so, so a lot of those uh, uh, hacks to just, you know, uh, and then it was a brilliant way to see how much the uh, demand is out there. And you could uh, accordingly either accelerate it or, or say that we are missing something. How do we iterate from there? So, and then in 20... 20, we launched essentially a program called as Black Belt, which is our subscription to all analytics with their courses, along with one-on-one -on -one mentoring. So the day you take this program, you get subscription to all the courses, but there is a mentor who would get on a call with you, explain which course to take, when, customize it to your needs, and the mentor would be in touch with you throughout this journey. So, so that's... So we have... We then moved away from selling these individual courses. And we said, this is the only product which we are selling. And, and what is the price of Black Belt course? Black Belt today costs about 65,000 rupees or $1,000, depending on who you're choosing it. But when we launched it at that time, it was uh, about 40,000. And then we added more courses, content, services uh, on top of it. And uh, same time, so 2020-21, uh, we launched another program called Bootcamp, which was essentially aimed for people in zero to five years bracket. And the intent was that each person who comes into this program should be able to get a job in industry. So it's a, it was a job guaranteed program and a selection-based program, right? And in fact, first batch, we... It was self-learning or this was like a cohort-based? This was a cohort-based instructor-led program. And in fact, the, the first batch was actually aimed to be a physical program. So, and it was supposed to go live on 1st April 2020. And <laughs> and then COVID had right, so so then we moved it entirely online. We launched the program in July, so so that's the second kind of uh, big program which we have, where we select the students who come into the program, 
and then every student who comes in it's our responsibility to make sure that they get placed in the industry by the time they finish their program and then go through the course work uh, i have a bunch of questions i want to ask you um so these modules so initially you were selling these modules which were like focused on one one topic did you uh, see that the completion rates were low etc because of which you evolved it and stopped selling those like what was the reason to stop selling modules so it was two things right so modules individually so uh, actually to large degree it was driven by the fact that we were bootstrapped right so at any point you would only have limited bandwidth to create these courses so we continued to add but it's a uh, once a course is created you can keep selling it right like correct so so in the bundles there we are still using the same content but then we so essentially it's a call of how much ownership do you want to take in the journey of the learner right and we said that instead of looking at those as point in time let's own the entire journey give as much guidance as possible so that was one reason and completion rates uh, so in general any self paced course would have far lower completion rates right but our completion rates were still Uh, from a industry benchmarking perspective very high right so so almost 15 to 20% of people who were taking these courses were completing these courses so so which is lot higher than what anyone else had in industry at that time so so that was not the reason the reason was just that we ultimately we want to create a impact in the life of learner and the best way to do it is say that for the next 2 years we'll work with you on a one on one basis and as close as a manner as possible and and create impact so that's why we moved away from selling these individual courses also i think other uh, factor was that ultimately the effort required to sell a module versus an ad program was i mean the differential is not very high and then the learners also wanted more so it's it was just a good win win solution for everyone involved that's that's why we said that we would just focus on programs so uh, today uh, nobody talks of self paced courses uh, i guess that is fundamentally because these courses like put you in a race to the bottom like if you can create then other people can also create and eventually the differentiation starts going down the completion rates at like 15% is not i mean it's not ideal to sell something which only 15% of your users fully benefit from um so i guess that's why the industry as a whole has moved away from these self paced courses into more like cohort based courses so it's a fairly fast evolving industry right so for example so coursera started this in a lot of ways right the self paced uh, revolution in that sense and then people said okay this is good but the completion rates are low so so then people started adding more things right so mentorship for example is is a great value add or peer learning could be another such so so people continued to do that but i think this question that ultimately how much is the impact in life of learner is is what is driving this industry right so so there i think the learning you go through in a cohort based is is fundamentally a uh, lot better however i think the right balance sits somewhere in between because there uh, specifically for example in our case right there are a whole lot of learners 
who can't commit that time on an ongoing basis, right? So they can't say that every Wednesday and every Friday, I'll take this course from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Or I'll, for the next six months, I'll devote every weekend uh, to learning this. And that's where self-paced are still brilliant ways to address that need. So, so my sense is that you would ultimately have a mix of the two modes and uh, which would be the best way going forward. And for a lot of corporate clients, self-paced still makes a lot of sense because they can't say uh, that the entire team would go and attend this training program for next five days or seven days from a business perspective. So, so there, uh, I think what is clear is individually self-paced can't make that much of impact. But at the same time, not everyone can commit to a complete cohort-driven program. So, so the sweet spot is probably somewhere in between and matching the user need to the right product, right? So, so a student coming out of college is best suited for an instructor-led program. A working professional with varying demands of uh, work is probably more suited to a flexible learning curriculum. So your flexible curriculum is black belt, where there is uh, an element of an instructor in the form of the mentor, and yet it is self-paced. And uh, and, and uh, the mentor works very closely with saying, okay, for the next 15 days, how much time are you, let's say, committing? So so let's put these uh, milestones in next 15 days, you'll be able to do this. So, so it's self-paced but it is very closely working with these mentors to make sure because again if you leave it as completely self-paced you will not see the impact right so 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 the mentor has to go back so for example let's say a mentor agreed on this 15 day milestone on 15th day the mentor would shoot a mail saying hi how are you doing do you want to connect back right so so there is that again nudge or trigger to to that back end, so yeah, you're bringing in accountability through the mentors. Through the mentors, exactly, exactly. So that's uh, uh-huh. these mentors are on your payroll. What what kind of people are they? It's again a mix. So initially, uh, all the mentors were on payroll, but over time, so and these are like data science professionals. Oh. Data science professionals, correct. And then over time, we have expanded it to our community members, right? So so the brilliant thing with analytics with this is because it's ultimately a community platform. You could tap into a lot of these experts and they are actually very excited to come back and contribute. So, so we can tap into the top data scientists in the country. We can tap into the top thought leaders and then they can come and share their learning. So, so today... Uh, I think almost 70-80% of these mentorship calls are taken by community members. And then uh, obviously there is an onboarding involved in it. So, so when a community member says they want to do it, they undergo a three-month hand-holding as a mentor, right? So what are the products? What are the best ways to do it? And they themselves go through some of these shadow calls. But by end of month three, they'll start operating independently as a mentor. So. Okay. Interesting. And they are paid for every student they mentor. Interesting. Okay. So so you've created that mentor onboarding also as a module, like, like that would be a training module in your system for a mentor to get onboarded. Exactly. 
right and not only mentor onboarding so so you know during this entire journey right we have always been very focused on community right so so for example till 2019 all the content on the site was getting published by analytics with their content writers and then you know everyone was writing blogs today 100% of the publishing is through community contributed articles and then the volume has gone up 15 times right so we were as a, as a, uh, because in house we were pub- we would publish let's say four articles a week today we are publishing 150 articles a month and the community is sharing their knowledge so you not only tap into a larger pool you get very diverse opinions you get very diverse data sets very diverse needs right so a professional sitting in africa seeing a problem in their let's say banking industry coming through article which which you just can't do at house right so so that's where the power of community comes into play right we are doing the same thing on webinar so community members can come today and float what we call as webinar but you must have some quality control mechanism right because quality is yeah quality is entirely controlled by analytics with this so every article gets moderated so for example for these 150 articles we get about 350 submissions and with each of these submissions there is a editorial team which works with them so they and then for these writers the feedback which they get is extremely valuable right so they get this feedback that how to improve their articles and now we are doing the same thing on the video side right so community members can come and they can share their wish to float a webinar which we call as dpr and then the team would work with them go through and the minute they are at a stage where the it looks the right thing for the community then we float it to the community members right and this becomes a pool to see who is expert in what areas what is their skill set and then that gives us a way to bring these people on to our programs or our, let's say if there is a corporate client looking for trainers in a specific domain this becomes up to essentially get those people okay interesting so 2020 31st march what revenue did you end at like you were doing 34 cr in 2018 how much did you do in 2020 we had reached about 8 crore in revenue and this uh, how much of this was the edtech revenue so 20 20 fy 2020 is uh, as i said was almost three equal verticals right so there was the uh, community 30 35% ads and 30 35% through events and hiring correct correct and then uh, post that we have obviously continued to grow and then covid changed uh, the mix right so so overnight your community events uh, uh, went from paid to free because uh, they were all online now not no in person events hiring almost became on but uh, events you anyway were doing uh, online only right no event the monetization the paid events were uh, essentially offline so, so the conference was uh, offline and uh, so so that went away similarly hiring there was this period of uncertainty in covid that how would it pan out so so hi- there were hiring freezes etc on the other end training demand shot up 
crazily, right? So overnight, there were a lot of people wanting to spend their lockdowns learning new skills. So so we had a huge bump in the traffic on uh, learning people. So, uh, so 2020-21 in that sense was a complete distribution reshift. And then we, for that year, we were essentially a tech company in that sense, right? And and then, yeah, and then now again, we are building a mix of hiring and community events uh, into the community. What's your current ARR? So, it, uh, so we are at a run rate of uh, about uh, one and a half to two crores a month in that sense. Okay, okay. So, what part of your revenue, which is the... B2C ad tech revenue. Uh, let's just go through your revenue stream. So, this B2C ad tech revenue is this uh, uh, self service sales, or do you have like a sales team which drives sales here? What is the go to market here? Like, yeah, it is assisted sales. So, people can come and obviously buy these products off the shelf, and which is what was happening till a few years back. But then we saw a lot of drop offs happening in the journey. So today it is assisted sales, right? So the minute you show interest on the platform, counselor would reach out to you, explain the product, take away confusion and guide you through the process. So, uh, so on the B2C side, it's assisted sales uh, for, for all the tech offerings. Okay, okay, okay. And uh, the you have like corporate revenue also, like from corporate training and... Yeah, correct. And how does that happen? So that happens in a very, it's a corporate, the intent is to create these extremely customized programs for their needs, right? So for example, one of the clients we are working with, they take about 50 graduates every year. And for those graduates, for the first six months, we train them on these technical skills, projects, etc. Month six to month nine, the there is a handholding between the client and analytics with there where we say so these people are working on the client's project and we are assisting them and month nine onwards they are in the roles uh, at the client center so so highly customized program understanding what is the need and then delivering those in the in whatever is the right way right so for example in this case because people go through this curriculum at the same time it's cohort driven but on the other end, there are clients where it cannot be cohort-driven. So there, there is a mix of self-paced plus doubt-solving doubt and then hackathons and workshops built into the program. You work with the trainers from your community or you have like on-roll trainers for the corporate? Okay. okay. Both. Both. So, so usually most of the delivery which happens during the weekdays is done by in-house instructors because... Uh, People would have their own commitments, but it's a mix. There are community members who are actually doing this as, as a full-time thing for us, but they're acting as freelancers. So, so it's a mix. And then each of these clients have these specific program we have created, which we deliver end-to-end for them. And this would be like a relationship-based sales. Like you would have like a salesperson who's going, building relationships, finding out if they need... So, yeah. So interestingly, this is one of the places where pe- people don't realize the power of community. So, so all the uh, uh, most of the B two B business which we had built till, till last year was actually inbound interest from community members, right? So, so a person 
looking at our clients and having experienced analytics with there comes back and says here is a program we want to launch in the company can we partner and can you guys run this end to end and uh, what that enables us for example even for these clients having the ability to tap in and bring in for example we can bring the top data scientists and you know would come and do these information sessions for the clients so that that power is just immense to create these customized programs so so we haven't been very you know b2b sales uh, uh, company in that sense in fact our b2b sales is, you don't do too much outbound most of your sales is inbound yeah yeah there, there is there is one one person b2b sales team we have today <laughs> and and most of his time would be spent with inbound servicing and then servicing yeah exactly exactly so so while the play is relationship based but the uh, discovery etc is all inbound and it's uh, uh, so so yeah the, you know with community that's the big thing that you don't realize the and for even for your b2c courses it would be community i mean your top of the funnel would be your community right or do you also spend on performance marketing large businesses through community we continue to experiment on performance marketing but what we have seen is that it's uh, it's nowhere as scalable and as efficient or profit making compared to what we can do from community so so the intent is to continue doubling down on community as opposed to looking at performance marketing engines amazing okay okay and okay so one is uh, corporate training revenue b2c edtech revenue then uh, hiring revenue what is the way you do that you, you charge like a per hire or you charge for like what is the model there well, what we do is we talk to the companies who are hiring and we would conduct these hackathons and competitions which we call as jobathons right so a typical jobathon about 20 companies would participate people would get evaluated on their skills and they would need to solve a problem as well and based on that they'll come on a leaderboard and these profiles would then be shared with these companies who are hiring based on a match so we built algorithm at the back which matches that and finally when they hire is when they pay us so so it's a success based because again the intent is to bring the best opportunities for the community right and then any friction you introduce in that process ends up doing the service to both the sides and so you charge like a hiring agency like a one month uh, salary kind of a, with like a that regular term like a replacement and all of those things like typically hiring agencies have those kind of terms right so uh, so it's not as similar to it but but the intent is that so so for example replacement clauses etc we uh, are not there but at the same time for example if a person didn't join then yes we would obviously uh, so so in that sense it's not a hiring agency the uh, so we actually tried a few different models before we zeroed in on this but there was i mean the industry works in a particular way right and then we <laughs> Yeah, yeah yeah this is uh, easy to get a buy in otherwise it would be very hard to get a buy in for anything else exactly so we said that let's remove any friction in the way for a hr to hire and then okay 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 interesting okay and um yeah so what about ad revenue like do edtech still advertise because now you are an edtech yourself so like but there is that 
So yeah, so so ads we discontinued uh, two years back. So we stopped running ads on the site. So now instead of selling other people's products, you are selling your own products. So which is much higher earning. You're selling our own products. Exactly. So that's and we have moved away from media model today. It's essentially a community portal where you essentially trying to add as much value and address a lot of these needs of community members through your own products and through your own network, right? And I mean, directionally, right? For example, in future, the way we see it is all of these people who are contributing back would become creators on analytics with their right so so we would uh, want to enable people who are let's say there is a data scientist working at a large bank who wants to offer course on credit risk modeling by all we, uh, we should be able to enable that right so 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 the direction is that we would want to have close control on the content but bring out that expertise which sits in the community and can to build on that. Mm. Okay, okay, amazing, amazing. So uh, uh, these are essentially your revenue sources now: hiring and uh, corporate training and uh, edtech, like the B two C edtech. Okay, you also raised your first institutional round. Uh, uh, I think last year you raised it, right? Tell me about that. So we uh, raised this round from Fractal, and Fractal is again a very domain-focused uh, company, right? So, so in that sense, it is exactly the domain we want to be in, and it's a company where where people understand community. So, just for people who don't know, what is Fractal? So, Fractal is is India's largest uh, analytics and AI services company. Works extremely focused on fortune 100 clients right so high value engagements very tightly net engagements and the aim is to solve problems for these fortune 100 companies right so they are about 4000 people company today and again growing very fast right so uh, fractal would be doing what say mckinsey bain bcg do except they would be doing it through the lens of data Exactly. And so data behavioral design is the area where they focus on. So behavioral design, what is this? I've never heard of this. So the way consumers behave is very different from what you would think logically, right? So there are these inherent biases which come in. So, so, so the unique proposition for Fractal is that, so obviously they bring in the data expertise, but they also understand these biases and behavioral studies which go into creating these products or services right so so the ui ux design or how to go about something so it's a mix of uh, uh, these dimensions which fractal brings on table and uh, so for us it makes tremendous sense to have uh, you know someone like fractal back us so so they understand the domain they understand the community business, right? So, uh, so uh, why do they understand community business? They are a services business, right? Like, they are services business, but the leadership team there understands the power of community. In fact, 2014, when I was, this was the time when I was writing the article. So, I reached out to Srikant, who is CEO of Fractal at that time, for an interview. And and he was the first business leader to agree to doing the interview on on the portal, right? So 
So since then, I've I've always you know used him as a mentor. At any point, I, if I face a conflict, for example, the uh, media model versus community model, he was the person I was brainstorming with. So so there was uh, so uh, so in that sense, the community uh, aspect fractal just gets it. And then uh, in fact, uh, since the time we have uh, raised the strategic investments. Our focus on community has actually increased a lot more because because you know the what uh, everyone understands the power which it brings in, and uh, that's why it's not a so while it's obviously an institutional investor, it is someone who understands the domain, understands the community, and it brings in a lot of domain expertise, right? So the problems which these Fortune hundred companies are facing that experience of solving those problems. Where is the industry heading? What are the kind of challenges people would expect in coming years? All of those uh, can come through their expertise, essentially. Okay, fascinating. They would probably also see this as uh, a way to increase the pool of data professionals and data talent in India, which also ties into their business growth. Right, exactly. From Fractal's perspective, e, there is this uh, talent problem, which is there. Talent and employer branding to some extent. More importantly, they are actually committed to creating a standard for talent, right? So, so if you think about it, there is no equivalent of CFA in analytics and data science today, right? So, so Fractal is committed to creating that standard and that's like a globally recognize the qualifications. Recognize certificate. Exactly, exactly. Right. So so that's the second area. And then what we are also doing with Fractal is taking some of these offerings to Fractal's clients. So the B2B expertise and client uh, programs which we create can run for Fractal's clients as well. So so there is uh, you know, tremendous synergies which can be unlocked. And that's what we are doing through this. Amazing, amazing. Okay. So on the product front, you built uh, like one product was like the WordPress blog. Then there was a hackathon product which allowed you to share a problem and for people to upload. And then that hackathon product led to the modules product. What else has happened in terms of product evolution? So LMS is another part which uh, has been on. And LMS is learning management system. It's basically like a way to manage your learner's journey. Learning management. Correct. Course learner's journey. Exactly. Right. So, and across all of this, right, all the information about the user, so their skills, for example. So we have built this evaluation engine and a certification platform which has inbuilt security features, right? So for example, in the jobathons, when a person is participating, there are security features uh, enabled onto the platform that while you are taking the test, you cannot copy paste anything from the window. There is uh, there is monitoring happening and proctoring happening. So, so this entire evaluation platform and a 360 degree view of these learners, right? So, so people are working and then engaging on analytics with the across all these products. They are reading articles, they are attending webinars, they are participating in these competitions, they are probably undergoing a few courses. So, so we are building this 360 degree view of these learners at the back end. And what we are today building is how do we 
enable this creator economy onto the platform where people can come and while they are sharing their knowledge, they can also start getting this back uh, from the community. And so, so it's in that sense, building this entirely new ecosystem where people are contributing back, but in the process, everyone is benefiting. How So essentially these UGC articles, like you said, you publish 150 articles a month, which are UGC, user-generated content. So the users who submit these articles, what are they getting back? So there are a couple of things, right? So the biggest thing is that they are getting their profile and ex- expertise. So they are uh, positioning themselves social proof. So that's one. And then there is a monetary angle to it. So there is, so the way we have defined it is there is a base reward. So every time your article gets published, you get a base reward. And then depending on how good the article does, you can make more rewards on it. So so in that sense, there's like cash, uh, cash reward. Cash rewards, correct, correct. Cash rewards. So again, so, so the idea is, you know, you have to enable this creator economy. And for that to happen, you have to do it at scale, right? So initially, for example, people were contributing purely because of uh, social proof. And then they had learned from analytics with there. So they were coming back and contributing. But then the, you can't scale it at, as much. And that's where uh, this entire uh, engine for creating these articles came in. So, so and again, just to uh, share some stats, right? Today, if you publish a technical article on analytics versus you publish it on Medium or LinkedIn. Analytics would give you much higher visibility than what a LinkedIn does or what a Medium does. Right. So, so that's the uh, that's the key differentiator. Right. So, so you're in the domain. The viewers are very relevant. You're getting positioned in front of people. So the visibility which uh, analytics is providing is a lot higher than what you would get if you would publish this elsewhere. And uh, and the in, the idea is that if we could replicate the same thing for videos, for example, if you if people creating these technical videos get higher visibility than what they would get on a YouTube, then you essentially crack the problem. So uh, you have like a video platform also. I thought your video platform was webinars. Uh, you, you're also allowing like UGC videos. Like, So we are building that. That's, that's, yeah. So that's what we are uh, building today. And that's, so, so, the, so that's where, you know, community members can come and contribute back. And everyone in the process is benefiting and so throughout these platforms, like based on how many views it gets, people will get rewarded. Correct. Exactly. It could be views. It could be, you know, engagement metrics, for example, how many people have engaged on the articles you've written. Okay. Okay. So analytics with is like a full-fledged uh, social network. Like you can watch videos, you can read articles, you can post something like like you can have like user generated posts also which don't need an approval or you can start a thread on something or like a a... so uh, so there is approval for any publishing you need for any comments or questions it it gets published and there is obviously a algorithm at the back so whenever it sees any fishy obviously it puts in the moderation queue but by and large, as long as you know you're doing technical discussions, you should be able to ask those questions, get answers without any moderation. 
But if you have to publish anything, right? So if you have to publish an article or if you have to publish a webinar, then there is a moderation queue which is there. Why not go full-fledged UGC? Just not have an approval mechanism. Just allow anyone who wants to publish to just start publishing. Anyone who wants to upload a video can just upload it. And like, like any social network. Yeah. So again, brilliant question. We have asked this multiple times ourselves. The thing is that in analytics, there's growth, right? One of the key reasons why people come back is that this quality of content and they see analytics Vidya has this ability to take complex topics and then break it down into small, easy to digest pieces, right? So we want to retain that in the content which we create, right? So, so for each of these articles, that's where a lot of work happens with these contributors that, you know, today if you're, so if someone, let's say, just publishes the theoretical construct in form of an article, We'll say that we'll not be able to publish it. Here are the changes we would want you to make. How does the, how can a learner benefit from it? What are the three things they can take away from it? And that's where... So I understand you're saying you want to control quality of articles, but this can be solved in this way. You could have like Twitter has a blue tick. So you could have a blue tick on articles which are analytics with the approved articles. And in general, have anyone publish it? The data will tell you which article is a quality article. You can just see that which article is getting more engagement, which means it is a quality article, which means it gets shown to more people. Like you could solve it like that. Correct. So it could be solved like that. And then, I mean, there are different ways, right? So this is one. The other one could be that you say that there are com open community articles. Another one is a feature list. So, so the best articles, so you put it on the feature list. Or now we said that let's make sure that we are doing it in a slightly more controlled way, we, we might open it up as we grow, right? It's something which we continuously evaluate. And uh, as long as so the intent is that as long as anything which is getting published is of value, we would want to enable it, right? We just don't want people to come in and republish a lot of content which is either plagiarized or so plagiarism is another problem which gets filtered in this process, right? So that's the key reason. And yeah, but depending on how, so we want to definitely open it up, but in a controlled manner is what we're doing. It too. Got it. Okay. 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 Got it. You spoke about uh, CFA for analytics. Is that something which is on your roadmap to create that kind of a globally accepted qualification? Correct. Correct. And then we are working with Fractal closely on this to, to build this, but that's the intent that can we have a globally recognized certification, which essentially becomes a proof in itself, uh, uh, a gold standard for talent. And how would that work? W would it just be a series of exams or would it be a course that you have to take or how would it work like? Right. So, so a lot of that is uh, uh, under works right now. For now, it would be, you know, a curriculum or a standard defined and a program which people can opt for, right? So, so people can go through the journey, but people can independently also just sign up for the exam and then say that I want to undergo this certification. So, uh, but what we are clear is it has to be offered together. So, so instead of just saying that here is the certification, there is a way to get there for people. That's 
So we, we are approaching it. Mm, okay, okay. So this year you're likely to end at 20 CR type of top line. Will that be uh, like, will you be like profitable with that number or like what is your path to profitability looking like? So the fundamentally the business which we have, right, it's... Uh, Fundamentally a profitable business, right? Last three years, we were uh, profitable. Yeah, because your customer acquisition cost is very low. You don't have to burn money to get customers. Yeah. This year, we uh, are looking at running uh, some of these experiments. We are building these platforms. So so this year, I, uh, we would not aim for profitability in that sense. Having said that, none of the fundamentals change, right? So at any point, we can steer the business towards profitability. Okay. What is the way to make this 20 CR as 100 CR or 500 CR? What do you see are those things that you need to do? Like, do you need to go global? Do you need to have more uh, expensive courses also? Or like, you know, talk to me about that. So I think uh, the biggest thing is to continue to become the single platform for any knowledge need which a data professional would have, right? So, so the aim is that every data professional should be there on the portal doing their learning either through open learning. So that's the biggest uh, ask. And my fundamental belief is if that happens, we'll be able to monetize and then grow the platform like we have been doing till now. Right. Uh, so, so that's the key focus that keep uh, investing back in the community, bring these products which are high value specific, uh, address specific needs and continue to build business, right? A few levers which we are actively investing in. So today, for example, most of the content is around data science. Uh, last few years, we've started uh, uh, building content on data engineering. We have started uh, building courses on Web3 uh, recently. So, so the idea is that any need which a data professional might have should get suffice to the platform. And then as we do it, I'm sure the revenues would take care of uh, themselves in that sense. Okay, 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 got it. Data science as a field, we discussed this briefly about its evolution. I remember there was a time when the big buzzword was big data, and today it is machine learning. What is the difference uh, between these terms? L like for an outsider, what is the difference between data science, data engineering, machine learning, AI? Because these terms are very often used interchangeably. Uh, help me understand technically what is the difference between them. Sure. So let me explain through a very simple analogy right so so let's say you are working in a automobile company right now if you think about how that business is organized there would be these specific career tracks or there would be these specific profiles right so there would be a scientist sitting in a lab optimizing the engine right so the key problem that person would be working on is how can i make this engine more efficient can I get 20% more mileage or can I uh, increase the torque further, right? So that's the problem which a scientist is working on. Very specific problem. And you don't need an army of scientists, right? You need a few PhDs or a few people who can really tackle that problem, right? So that's one profile. The and that is, in our analogy, that is data science, the equivalent a, that is data scientist sitting in an organization working on a very specific problem. And the work ends when there is a POC which has been created, 
right? So the person is not expected to put it in production, right? On the other hand, there would be these engineers who are working in the plant, in the engineering unit. And what they would do is take these findings which the scientists have done and put them in production, right? So how how should the assembly line look? Who would do what? All of that is being handled by engineers. So in similar analogy, data engineers essentially build these pipelines. So, so how is the data flowing from different systems? Which data would come at what frequency? So for example, Uber needs it in real time. Bank needs it on a daily basis. So, so every data source would have their own needs. So that's what a data engineer would do. So collate all of these different sources, make that ready for this algorithm, which the data scientist has built, put it in production and maintain that on a day-to-day basis, right? So those are your data engineers. And then you have a layer of management, right? Who is taking decisions. So how many units do we want to produce? And what is the cost of raw material? What is the ROI like? So these are your business analysts in our analogy, right? So people who are working closely with business and using data to solve problems, like what I was doing at Capital One, right? So so that's so those are the essentially career tracks, right? A data scientist, data engineer, and a business analyst. Now, there are tools. So machine learning is a tool, right? So who is using it? So obviously, data scientist needs to know machine learning inside out. A data engineer needs to understand what machine learning does and put it in production. So they may not know the algorithm which brings in that next 20% uplift, but they should understand what this algorithm does. And for a business analyst today, a lot of time is going in analysis as opposed to machine learning. Machine learning is different from algorithms, right? What is the difference between them? Like, uh, I mean, machine learning is core AI, right? Like, like uh, often people would say we are an AI-powered product, but they are actually an algorithm-powered product. And I'm just saying this because I've heard other people talk about it. I personally don't know the difference between these two words. Sure. Yeah. So, so machine learning is essentially the set of techniques which enable machines to become smarter, right? So, so they are building logic, which is done through these algorithms, right? So, an algorithm which is working on a specific problem today cannot be taken to another problem and expected to work, right? So, you need people who are tuning or matching these algorithms to the right problems. And what you're essentially trying to build is intelligence or artificial intelligence. So so machine learning is the way to build artificial intelligence and algorithms are essentially enabling it. Is this understanding correct that an algorithm is somewhat something written based on our understanding of the world, whereas in machine learning, you are feeding machine data and asking it to understand the world? So algorithm has both these classes. Right. There could be algorithms which you have defined or there could be algorithms which it has learned from data. And machine learning is essentially learning from data and evolving it. Right. So, for example, today when you do Google searches, there is no one at the back sitting and fine-tuning that algorithm. Right. So, so it is learning from the searches and evolving the results on by itself. That's machine learning. Right. On the- so, like, if I run a search and I 
choose a result on page two, then the machine knows that page one results were not great and the page two result was better. So, and then it'll look at similar such searches and draw some sort of analysis and what is the most relevant result. Hmm. But not great, exactly. And that's machine learning in action. On the other end, uh, assuming you are not at that scale, if you are looking at uh, an analyst to see what products are our customers finding useful on the website, that's simple analysis. Uh, and you could use that in a rules-driven manner. So, for example, today I can say that most of the people coming to analytics they want to learn machine learning. So, I'll show that in the first phone. Right? So, I have defined the algorithm, how the page comes. Right? That's one way. But I could also say that I don't want to do it. I am just throwing all the content in it. And it by itself brings the most relevant things up. And when you build that engine, that's machine learning. Almost every social media platform would have their own uh, recommendation. In fact, that's the make or break thing, right? Because uh, as a user, you would have a few seconds of attention. And if you can grab that, and that's where I think, you know, YouTube has done this brilliantly, right? Once you start watching a video, most of the people would find it very difficult to step out of it. Uh, so on the edtech side, you are essentially competing with like a great learning upgrade. And these are all like multi-billion dollar valuation companies. So, you know, what makes you think that you can win? Because they are also offering data science courses and machine learning courses and all. It's a lucrative field. So, Correct. so fundamentally, we don't see ourselves as a pure edtech player. Right. So, so, so we are actually not in a war to win against these people in that sense. Right. What we are building is a community platform focused on data professionals and any need these customers might have is, is what we need to serve. Right. Today, education is one of the need tomorrow, for example, you know, so one of the products which you've built today is a way to build data engineering pipelines on the browser, right? So, so we are using it to run competitions that people can write code and build these pipelines in the browser. So, so in that sense, what we are building is not a tech company. So, so in that sense, it's not right to compare against them. Yes, there uh, today a lot of revenue comes from education as an offering. But there also our value proposition is very different, right? We are building these very application-oriented, outcome-driven programs, which help. So we are not in a business of providing college degrees or bringing degrees online. That's the fundamental difference, right? So, so and, and that's where, for example, our choice of looking at investor was fundamentally different. So for us, success is not the edtech revenue we make. The success is how many people are we able to make a career impact on and how many data professionals across the globe are on analytics with as a platform. So a better comparison would be GitHub then for you. GitHub or LinkedIn for data scientists, for example, is what we are building. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. And like say GitHub has built this co-pilot product where it allows coders to have an AI uh, supported experience to make them more productive. Do you think you'll build something like that for data professionals, like a co-pilot? That, yeah, that would fit brilliantly with what we are doing. And that's where uh, that's why I was saying we are not 
tech company in the way we are looking at. And then uh, that's the exact kind of problems we would want to solve. So uh, I'm sitting with Kunal again. We recorded what you've heard so far six months plus back, I guess, uh, more than six months ago. So I just wanted to catch up once with Kunal, get in some updates before we release the episode. So Kunal, a lot of action has happened in the space of data science, machine learning, especially with OpenAI completely changing the field. Uh, just share with us what are some of the reasons. It's how you're responding to how has the business model evolved. Sure, Akshay. Thanks. Thanks for uh, you know circling back on that. So, uh, uh, it it has been, you know crazy period in terms of the amount of development and the impact which uh, generative AI has created. Right. So, uh, I mean, when we were recording, if you would have asked me, you know, how quickly the pace of AI adoption would change, even in my wildest dreams, I wouldn't have uh, predicted what has happened. So, uh, so OpenAI. Uh, yeah, released the chat GPT uh, module first and then followed it up with GPT-4. And then I think just two days back, uh, they are now releasing their first multimodal uh, generative AI model, which is essentially combining Tally and chat GPT. So you could now do chat as well as vision through a single model, right? So, so a lot of action, obviously. Uh, and I think this was probably the first time when a lot of people not in the field saw the impact of what generative AI could create, right? So all of a sudden, I think it was one of those moments like, uh, you know, when COVID lockdowns overnight, the interest in online learning grew. Similarly, when ChatGPT released, I think within like a week, everyone wanted to know what is possible, what is not possible, how do I use these tools. So, so a lot of action has happened since. Uh, and the way we are looking at it is, uh, you know, there are uh, largely two levels where uh, in terms of how we are approaching it. So the first one is uh, general users who can use these tools to increase their productivity. And so uh, let's say I'm a blogger, I want to get a first draft out. I can use these tools to get these first drafts out. I'm a designer, I want some design ideas uh, to come through, I'll just give a prompt to mid-journey and it will uh, throw back some ideas. So so great at uh, creating these first drafts, doing some brainstorming, and then obviously human is still in the loop, so you need to optimize. So that's the uh, end-user game. So that's one sort of uh, audience. And then the second audience, which is, I think, our core audience, are people who are building these technologies, right? So, uh, so OpenAI is a proprietary model. You can only call APIs and then there are a set of restrictions about how you could use them, how you could not use them. Parallelly, there is an open source, so Llama 2, which was released by Meta and Microsoft also had a partnership there. That's open source, but it's not performing as good as uh, OpenAI models. Right? So for any commercial use, Llama 2 is a better model. So, so there, there are a lot of people who are still dabbling about, you know, how do you solve specific problems? How do I use these technologies on my own data set and train, for example, let's say an internal chatbot or can I use this to, uh, you know, get first drafts of the code based on my existing code? 
So, so all of those applications which are very developer uh, focused, and that's the audience which, uh, we get. So, so, uh, so these are the two kind of separate audience, and uh, you know, obviously, the first one is a lot bigger, but that's uh, uh, that's not the market focus so much on. Uh, the second one is where we focus on. So, uh, so what we have done is essentially, you know, multiple things. First of all, we again truly believe that, you know, uh, this needs to be evangelized. So, so we have started doing a lot of uh, meetups across country. Uh, so, for example, uh, yesterday we had three meetups running in parallel in Chennai, Bangalore and Hyderabad. It uh, focused entirely on generative AI and its adoption. What are the challenges it comes in? How do you trust the models which we are building, etc. So that's kind of uh, just evangelizing the subject. Then there are, uh, you know, master series uh, and workshops which we are doing, which are again, let's say, eight-hour workshop for people who have committed that they want to dabble around, go and, uh, you know, actually build these technologies. So that's the second offering which uh, has come up where we are saying that if you uh, want to accelerate in this domain, within eight hours you can come learn from the expert and then stay with this group as you continue to build these applications so that's the yeah, what is the can, what is the pricing for this eight hour workshop so, so eight hour workshop typically would be between 10 to fifteen thousand rupees uh so so that's the idea and and all the infra is taken care for you so so for example you know we did the first set of these workshops along with data hack summit and there were 200 people who are using these GPOs uh, throughout the day, right? So, in fact, we tried reaching out to multiple cloud service providers and at that time, no one was running these, uh, you know, GPOs at such a scale. So, so that's, that's the, uh, you know, magnitude of these uh, uh, master series workshops. So, that's the second level. And then third, we are uh, uh, coming up with our generative AI program. So, similar to the Black Belt program. Uh, it would again be a subscription with one-on-one -on -one mentorship and that's launching on uh, 1st of December. So so that's already out released to the community. They can, you know, sign up in the uh, early bird release. Uh, but that's, that's you know, for the developer market, those are the three levels in the way we are approaching the market. Personally, I think, you know, and then we, uh, we've been talking to a lot of experts I think in general, the feeling is this is one of the, you know, moments when, when the acceleration in the domain changes significantly and, and the technology is out there. I think the key question is how do you adopt and how do you uh, put these in use cases and then still kind of uh, solve some of the UI UX issues for, for the users. So I think the... Most common use case which I see is in information retrieval. So you have a large set of documents. You just want someone to quickly summarize it. That's that's the easiest one. And I think every company is trying to either build their own chatbots or, uh, you know, build something in that direction. To something which is very, very refined as well that, you know, you for example, for analytics with there, can we create a bot where, uh, you know, people can just ask questions and learn instead of trying to, you know, figure out their ways through uh, numerous articles, numerous videos and all of these things. Can I just come and say, you know, I want to learn generate basics in the next two hours. 
do that for me and then I'll, I'll follow what you say. So, so, uh, so I think uh, we are in middle of that journey, but what is very clear is that uh, this is going to have a huge impact, is going to fundamentally change how we use information products. Does this uh, give you like a revenue boost? Because there would be, at this stage, at yeah. least a strong interest in learning generative AI. It's, it's like the, the hot new thing, you know, so I think, uh, does that. So it is one of those periods where, you know, you want to kind of maximize how much you can kind of create a difference. So, and what we're seeing is actually very interesting, right? So there are two directions in which uh, we are seeing the uh, revenue boost coming from. One is what I mentioned, right? So people who want to specialize in generative AI. Uh, today, this knowledge is almost non-existent, right? So if you have to, for example, learn machine learning today, there are numerous options, numerous courses. But if you have to really learn and build generative AI, there aren't many options out there today. So uh, so that's one area where that's clearly an incremental revenue stream. The second one is because it has now generated so much excitement, everyone internally is asking, what can I do with these technologies? How can I improve using these technologies? And what we're seeing is a lot of companies and people want to learn a data literacy program or awareness program where even though you're not directly building these technologies, you could still be a salesperson, a HR person or a marketing person, but you need to know how to use these tools and technologies best and how to keep uh, yourself up to speed with these. So those are the two kind of uh, streams. The first one is where we already have products out there. The second one is where it's more B2B in nature, uh, but I believe that that's a much bigger market, right? So, so both of these are incremental revenue streams for us. One last question. What is the difference between chat GPT and an open source large language model like Lava? Like you host Lava on your own server and like you can just download the code for it or like what is fundamentally the difference? So, uh, so the fundamental difference is chat GPT is built on proprietary technology, right? So they're not releasing the exact models, the exact way the way it has been trained. In fact, that's that's kind of the secret sauce, right? And the terms and conditions of the model very clearly state that you can, I mean, there are limitations about how you can use it commercial. Uh, in the, and on the open source also, there are different levels, right? So there are models release what they do, but they don't allow for commercial usage. Uh, Lama 2 is the most open model in that sense. So it's it's a continuum. It's not just, you know, uh, clo closed source and open source. Uh, but Lama 2 is uh, the other extreme where it says that, you know, here is the model. I've got the base version out. Feel free to use it in the way you want. Right. So, so, uh, so that's the continuum. Now, depending on your use case, right, you would want to pick what is the best one. Uh, and... Uh, I mean, while uh, there are options to stop, uh, you know, data sharing with chat GPT, etc., that's still a concern. So the organizations still uh, feel that, you know, their data is going out if they want to use chat GPT for any internal 
products or any internal use cases. So, so that's where open source is going to have a much bigger impact because a lot of people are actually interested in building these open source models because they, they create a much bigger community impact. Over the next two to three years, they should kind of close the gap between the per, in the performance between what, uh, let's say, an open AI model is doing versus what these open source models are doing. So, so a lot of people are contributing to a lot of people are trying out different versions. And then again, you know, some of these are getting trained on 7 billion parameters. Some of them are getting trained on even 100 billion parameters. So, so people are trying all of these things and then releasing it back to the community. So I think it will take some time, but my sense is in probably two or three years' time, the, the performance gap should definitely narrow down. And once that starts happening, then then you have, uh, you know, uh, a true boost of a lot of use cases, which are built on completely open source platforms. It's, it's very similar to, for example, what uh, a Python and R did uh, before that it was SaaS, which was very proprietary, so it was getting used in limited uh, use cases. When Python came, they were completely open source and then the domain proliferated, right? So similarly, I think as soon as we see better performance or closure of uh, the gap, uh, we'll see again another uh, boost coming. So something like, say, Python would be like an executable software, something you can execute right. on your desktop. Is that what a Lama 2 is also like an executable? What is one? It's not there today, to be honest. So, so uh, I mean, today you would need to go on GitHub. You would need to install it on your machine or a server, depending on uh, what. But it's not too far away, right? So I can uh, very okay. easily say that, you know, here is a executable file, which you can just download and uh, the the bigger challenge right now is making sure you have the hardware, making sure that you correct, you choose the right uh, number of parameters because if you choose very big, your normal laptops would not be able to suffice. So so that's the challenge. But I think that that will be solved. It's not too far away from getting solved even today. And uh, there are people who are you know trying out these different models, Llama two, Auto GPT. A lot of people have installed on their laptops and then they are trying to uh, automate tasks so so a lot of that action is uh, happening i think some of these would result into new products new softwares new ways of doing things uh, some of them would probably end up as good experiments irrespective i think people need to figure out their way uh, through to github codes and repositories it's not too far away where you could just uh, on a click of button download and then get started and that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to this show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in this show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at the podium.in. That's ad at t-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-m dot in.